Well, good morning. Let, let me pray for us. Father, we do pray that you would come and be present here as we hear from your word. We pray for your spirit to point the things out that we need to hear. Father, we pray that your spirit would comfort us, encourage us, challenge us, and convict us if needed. Father, we pray that your word will do what it promises to do, to pierce our hearts and to reveal your love, your mercy, your grace, and your son Jesus, the word became flesh who dwelt among us. In your holy name, amen. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Aaron came to me and he said that uh, one of our friends that he had actually grown up with in the hometown of Baltimore had invited him this weekend to go to Baltimore and hang out with him and a group of friends. And I said, Aaron, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, I hope you can go. And Pastor Aaron said, yeah, it would be fun, but it would mean that I'm going to miss the concert that him and I were supposed to go to tonight. He said, but if I go, my friend is going to get me into the Baltimore Ravens game. And I said, well, forget the concert. This is a great opportunity. You totally should go. Pastor Aaron said, yeah, you're right, but you know, I'll miss my family, and I'm going to miss being at Covenant. I like being here. I don't want to miss another Sunday. But if I go, our friend is going to pay for everything. He's flying me down, and I'm going to get into the game for free. And I said, well, it's a no-brainer, Aaron. You have to go. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And Pastor Aaron said, you're probably right. But if I go, that means I'm going to miss preaching on the topic of Jesus being the judge. And I said, you know, Aaron, I don't think you should go. I think you should stay and preach this sermon. (laughs) I mean, because let's be honest, the topic of judgment, especially in church, makes people often uncomfortable. The topic of judgment brings up in people angst, frustration, and even anger. Dennis Prager, a radio talk show host and a writer, wrote this in the Wall Street Journal. In our culture, judging evil is widely considered worse than doing evil. Now, whether that is true or not, judgment is an uncomfortable topic for many of us. Many people are uncomfortable with the topic of judgment because of bad examples in our lives. If you work downtown, you've probably seen some of the people on the streets yelling about how bad people are. The church, the preacher, the Christian that always seems to be judging something or someone. The imperfection of human judgment in our city and in our world. We either know of or we've read about innocent people that are falsely accused and condemned. We see and we hear about guilty people that seem to get away with their things or Their punishment does not fit their crime. And then there are those people that don't really know us or care about us or know our circumstances, and they seem to pronounce verdicts upon us, either verbally or non-verbally, that comes across like we're being judged. And that drives us crazy. So what do we do with the topic of judgment? Well, the irony is that sometimes we judge people for judging people without seeing that we're doing the very same thing. But often, I think what we do is we don't want to think about this topic, especially when we think about judgment maybe coming on us or on the people that we love. And this is especially true when we think about the topic of God and judgment. Thinking about Jesus returning as judge is hard for many. 
we are in this section of the creed that we profess that Jesus will come back to judge the quick and the dead. The term quick is an ancient term for living. So basically what the creed says is we believe Jesus is going to come back to judge everyone, those who are living and those who have died. Now this might make us ask the question, what right does anyone have to tell us if we're right or wrong? Maybe you've asked the question, what right does God have to judge me? Maybe if you know a little bit about God, you wonder, what about the God of love that I could read about? What about grace? How does judgment fit into all that? And listen, if you are a follower of Jesus today or not, it's safe to say that the judgment of God isn't what excites most people about their faith. I haven't heard many Christians say to me, you know what I really love? You know what gets me up in the morning? Divine judgment. Yet the Bible talks about this topic throughout from Genesis to Revelation. The scriptures talk about the coming day of the Lord, that there is going to be a judgment day, that Jesus will return and make all things right as he judges. Both our Old Testament and New Testament reading that Mark gave us talk about judgment. In fact, the Old Testament reading was from Psalm 98. And this is one of the songs that the people of God would sing in worship. This was a song that was written in praise and worship of God. In fact, it is the psalm that the text from a famous Christmas carol, Joy to the World, is based on. It's a song about worshiping our Lord as Savior and King. And how does that song end in worship? It ends with the people praising God that he will judge the earth. That God will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. I almost used Psalm 98 for our scripture passage to preach on this morning. But instead I wanted to turn to some of the words of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. So we're going to read from John 12. Verse 44 to 50, you could follow along in a Bible or in the order of worship, or you could just listen as I read. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has he himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is God's word, and it is given to us for our good. Well, in 2001, the movie Training Day came out with Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. Uh, if you've seen the movie, it's about these two LAPD narcotics officers. And Denzel Washington actually won an Academy Award, an Oscar for Best Actor, for his portrayal in that movie. He played a crooked cop. He played a terrible cop. He played a horrible person. I absolutely hated him. And I recently, this week, read an article where Denzel Washington is being interviewed about how he can even play roles like that in a movie. How he's able to play a character so bad or wicked and evil. 
And I did not know this, but I guess Denzel Washington had asked the director to change the ending when he read the script originally. He said the character and the ending he would like to see changed, because this is his words. He said, I couldn't justify him living the worst way unless he died the worst way. I just thought that is what he deserved. He wanted the ending to make sure that his character got what he deserved. And this makes sense. I mean, whenever you watch a movie or a TV show with a terrible person, you want them to get what they deserve. Deep down, we all want justice. We want what is right and fair to win out. And this desire for things to be right and fair has been with us from the very beginning. If you've been around kids at all, or if you have kids of your own, it's safe to say in your home, like in my home, probably the number one word that is said the most often is the word mommy. But I think a second word that is repeated is actually a phrase over and over again. It's not fair. It's not fair. Very early on, children know and feel that things are not fair. And you know what? It's not just kids that say this and feel this. I mean, if you're honest, if you're driving down the road and some guy is cutting you off or driving too close to other cars or speeding along or going through red lights, I mean, isn't it in you to want to see that guy pulled over? I don't know about you, but man, I just want to see him pulled over and kind of slow down my car, look at him and smirk and think, yeah, you got what you deserve. Maybe that's just me, but I think we are wired for a desire for justice. It is a deeply human desire to crave justice, to know that some things are okay and some things are not. We long for things to be made right when we see and feel the brokenness in our city and in our world. We long for deep justice, and we would despair if we thought there was no hope for it, ever. We feel despair when we hear or we see in our city, in our world, murder and rape and slavery and human trafficking and oppression of women and people getting away with evil things over and over again. We deep down want to know that something is going to be done about the evil, the sin, the wickedness and the injustice that we see. We want to know and believe that there will be a day when things will be made right. But this desire for justice and judgment means that we ourselves will have to sit under that judgment as well. Many of us want justice to be done to them, not necessarily to us. If we're uncomfortable with a God who judges, it's safe to say we're even more uncomfortable with a God who might judge me. And so we might cling to one of the verses that I read at the beginning of this sermon, where Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world. We like that idea way better than the idea that Jesus came to judge the living and the dead. We're going to need to look at that passage and wonder what is Jesus saying there. But I want to look at this idea of judgment and justice from this section in John 12. This passage that I read is the last public words of Jesus before he goes off with his disciples and spends time with them, teaching them, before he is taken captive and crucified. This is the last time Jesus is speaking to the crowds and to his opponents, and the tension is really high. Things are about to come to a head between Jesus and his enemies, and Jesus knows it. 
So he knows this is the last time he's going to speak publicly to the crowds. And so he basically summarizes what he has been saying throughout his earthly ministry. Jesus is revealing his identity and his mission before he goes off to die. Jesus is challenging those who claim they believe in God and yet reject him. Jesus challenges all, including every single one of us in this room, to think about who he is, why he came, and what does it mean that he's coming back again. We are in our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, and we are in the section of the Creed that talks about Jesus. If you've been with us, you know that we've already looked at the birth of Jesus. We looked at the idea that he is our Lord. We looked at the suffering and the death of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about us ascend, that Jesus ascends into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so what he said last week is that Jesus is king. And as king, he is ruling now. But one day he will return. And what does that have to do with justice? Well, as I've already said, I think deep down we long for righteousness and justice. We want peace in this world. We want no more war and violence and murder. We deep down want what the Bible describes as kingdom values. But we want to dictate how those values come about often. And we want to promote certain values over other values. I recently started listening to a great podcast called This Cultural Moment. And one of the guys on the podcast, Mark Sayers, said these simple, but to me profound words that have been resonating in my mind as I've been working on this sermon this week. Mark Sayers said this, Today, we want the kingdom without the king. We want the kingdom without the king. We want the kingdom values like peace and justice and things being right and good, but deep down, we do not want a king. We want to be in charge. We want to pick the kingdom values that we think matter the most, and we want to have the right to judge others who don't agree with us. Jesus cries out in our passage here about being the king and being God and the one who represents God. Our first verse says, whoever believes in Jesus believes in the one who sent him, which is God. Jesus is saying here, when we see Jesus, we see God. When we meet Jesus, we meet God. And that should affect everything about us. Verse 45 says these words, whoever sees me, sees the one who sent me. So when we see Jesus, we see God. And what do we know about God from Scripture that's affirmed in the Apostles' Creed? Well, we know that God is the creator of everything. He's the creator of the world. He made all things. We know that God is almighty and powerful. That God is all-knowing. And what we know throughout all of Scripture, and the Creed affirms it, is that God's view of creation is not a casual affair for him. He is passionately committed to his creation. He is passionately committed to you. God is involved against evil presently. Now, it's hard to believe at times. We look around, we see so much injustice, we see so much pain, we see so much suffering, and we sometimes ask, God, do you even care? Do you not see what is going on in the world? How people are being oppressed? forced into slavery, treat it like they are nothing? We wonder, does God see the injustice that happens in our day-to-day -day lives and that we read about in the news? 
Do we trust and believe that God promises one day to deal justly with evil and sin in this broken world? And here's the thing. As humans, our knowledge is partial, our vision is not always clear, and our hearts are not always pure. But that is not the case with God and Jesus. He knows all. He sees all. And he always does what is right. He does what we can never do ourselves. Because here's the problem. We often take on the responsibility of divine judgment without the power to fulfill that responsibility. So we need help. We need a judge who sees completely. We need a judge who cares for us deeply. We need a judge who knows us completely. If the creed and scripture is accurate that Jesus as God's representative is going to come and judge and I believe that that is true, then we can know that even if judgment is uncomfortable to us, we are being judged by someone who knows us totally. We are being judged by someone who is passionately committed to us. And we are being judged by someone who we can know and trust. Jesus, in our passage, talks about the topic of judgment and a judgment day, and he uses a familiar term that he uses in the Gospel of John often. Verse 46 says, I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus' mission is to be light, to come into those dark corners of the broken world and the darkest places of our broken hearts and to shine the light upon them. Light exposes darkness. Light shines on the stuff we try to hide from others and we try to ignore. Jesus sees that. Without light, we are in the darkness. Without light, we don't know where to go. Without light, we are trapped with no guidance and no hope. And so we need Christ to shine his light of judgment into the darkness of the world and into the darkness of our lives. Because if Jesus is not the light that will come to expose the darkness, then we'll either get very discouraged or we will think it is up to us to expose the darkness. If there is no hope for the darkness to be exposed by our Savior, then we will feel the need to administer judgment to all we think deserve it. Believing Jesus is coming to judge, believing that he is the light to expose the darkness, it will free us up from that anger that we have towards other people. Believing that Jesus is the judge, believing that he is the light to expose the darkness, it will help us stop wanting to be revengeful, punishing people because they've harmed us. We aren't the light. We can't see the darkness around us. So what actually happens is we have to judge ourselves and others based on appearances. And appearances are often deceiving. Just spend a little time this afternoon on social media and you'll see how appearances are false. We need to give up our rights to judge others because we don't truly know what's going on. We don't know the heart. We don't know what is going on in people's lives. And it is a very good thing that we have a Savior and Lord who does and sees all. And it is good that Jesus doesn't just shine the light on our appearances or external actions. I mean, if appearances is all that mattered, why not just wear the disguise of being good? If Jesus is not going to judge our hearts, Why should we strive for purity of heart? We could fake a number of positions while having hearts that speak a very different way. We could protest racism, yet in our hearts detest certain people. 
We can support the rights of women while at the same time have disdain towards them. We could stand up for social justice. We could care for the poor and the needy. People can notice us being very generous with our time and with our money, and yet deep down in our hearts, we don't care. Our section in John is in a section where Jesus is crying out to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And listen, they were very good at doing good things, but for the wrong motives. They wanted to be judged for their actions, and Jesus says, no, I judge the heart. They looked good on the outside, and Jesus says, I'm going to come with my light and expose the inside, and the darkness will not remain. Now, at least for me, this feels overwhelming. Because it is a lot easier to do the motions of faith than to actually have our hearts in line with faith. Most Christians, if they're honest, will admit our motives aren't always pure. Our desire to be seen as something good and right is more important to us than actually being good and right. So this might convict us that God looks at the heart. But I also think it's an encouragement that we know God sees all. If Jesus as judge shines the lights on places that we try to hide and that the world seems to ignore, it means he knows everything about us. As it says elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And if that is true, that means he does know the evil in this world and he promises to come and make it right. Verse 49 says that there is a judgment that is to come. God is going to make the world right. He's going to deal with the problems that we see, that we read about, that we hear, that we experience in this world. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. And this is a good thing. Because what it gives us at least a little hope to cling on to is that sin and evil will not win. That darkness will not defeat the light even though it looks like darkness is winning. The oppressed in this world that are trapped in systems of evil and oppression, they need to hear the truth that God sees and God is coming back to make things right. The many people in our world, the many people perhaps in this room right now that have been deeply hurt and abused by people in power, that was not right. It is not right. And God will take care of it one day. The people in our world that are in captivity, the people in our city that are treated horribly and unjustly. They can, even if it's just a little bit, hold on to the hope that evil will not win. The doctrine of God's judgment is hope that one day all will be made right. The word of Jesus, it says in our passage, will judge. The word of Jesus says no to sin and no to evil, it will judge. The word of our Savior offers light and life in a world of darkness and injustice. So as uncomfortable as the justice of God might seem, there is a good news of hope that he's coming back to make things right. And there's something else I think encouraging to think about a God who sees all. We could stop pretending like we have it all together. We could be honest that we screw up. You know, it is so hard not to just put on a happy face and act like everything is okay. And we want to hide from people that love us, our struggles, our pain, and our sin. 
We definitely want to hide in this room from other people seeing and, and knowing that we screwed up this weekend. God already knows all those things we try to hide. God already knows all those ways that you have lived for yourself more than God this week. God knows all those thoughts that you've had and those actions you have done that you want no one in this room to know about. And God says, I still want to be in relationship with you. Jesus never looks at anyone and says, that heart is too dark and there is no hope. Jesus never looks at anyone and says, that sin is too deep and there's no hope. Jesus never looks at anyone and says, you are beyond hope. That is why he came into this world. He came to offer salvation and light over darkness. He came to give us what we don't deserve, a relationship with God. Verse 47 said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You see, when Jesus first came on this earth, he came to offer salvation, and that offer is still true today. Jesus came, and before he's going to come again to pronounce judgment, he himself was judged on our behalf. The truth of the gospel, the truth that we stand upon in everything we do as a, a followers of Jesus is that we deserve judgment, but there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus because the judge got judged on our behalf. We have to believe this. We have to believe the truth that we did not deserve to be set free from our sins. But the great judge who's coming back said, I will take on those sins and suffer the judgment we deserved. Jesus is coming back, but those of us who are in Christ can be boldly confident that he has already judged us on the cross and he has declared us free. May we believe this. May we have hope that he is coming to make things right. May we be patient that Jesus is going to fix everything. And may we trust and believe that he as a judge loves us, cares for us, and is shining his light of hope in the midst of our darkness. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son and we thank you for the hope of the cross. And Father, the words of Jesus that are to judge at the end of time are the very words that caused him to be put on the cross and die. And we thank you for that hope. And may it motivate us to respond in love and in care for you and for the people that you have created in your image. In your holy name, amen.